Welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 82. The boys are back in town, Jonathan. We are. What's going on? I'm, well, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good too. Um, thanks to Elle and uh, Alice for holding down the fort while I've been away over the past couple of weeks. Been doing some big, very exciting things over in San Francisco, which we'll get to later. Uh, I am Mel, by the way, of course, joined by Mr. Jonathan Seltzer, reviews editor of Metal Hammer. Um, don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer magazine. It's out right now. It is a baby metal spectacular, um, as well as a world exclusive interview with the band and their creator, manager, producer, um, the main man behind the scenes and all that business. Uh, it also comes with a free, very nice baby metal arts print and a badass uh, kind of black metal looking Fox God baby metal patch as well. You can only get these things with Metal Hammer that is out right now. Um, loads of other stuff in there, including a really good corn interview um, with Jonathan Davis, that LDiv, that's absolutely brilliant. You have to, have to, have to read it. It's excellent. Um, and for those that have been asking, yes, we will have some baby metal bundles coming soon as well. So keep an eye on www.metalhammer.com for more information on those it's a little bit echoing here today because we're in the big boardroom uh, rather than our usual little sound studio so sorry about that but abyssal i like to think of it, it exactly exactly it's it, we're, we're going kind of more uh symphonic metal today rather than 90s underground. old school black metal is my thing <laughs> yeah yeah that's a better reference definitely um what you been up to man you went to a gig this week didn't you uh i well i've i spent a lot of time in norway recently um, oh yeah so uh my last trip was to oslo for um a band called Madame Morton's 20th anniversary show. If you're wondering who that is, uh, that's probably because they're one of the most underrated bands in our world. Uh, just an incredible progressive metal band, um, a ridiculously amazing female singer. And they're six albums in. And, um, and one of those bands that um, the people who love them, they're just completely immersed in the whole world they create. Yeah. They had played with about every single member that's ever been in the band on stage. Very emotional. I mean, the songs themselves are emotional. If you don't know who Madame Autumn are, check them out. And check out, check out the song Vigil that's on the Melt Hammer website because um, nice. it will probably make you cry. Oh, what's that? Could you do a cheeky for fans of? Uh, are they relevant enough to other bands? Uh, they're one of those bands that they don't really sound like... Maybe the early stuff sounds like early gathering. They have some kind of really heavy grooves that... Um, you could maybe uh, think have a kind of a new metal element to them, but um, go off on complete tangents very far from anywhere new, met- new metal's ever gone. Um, just in terms of emotional range, uh, probably um, Royal Thunder, perhaps. Oh, nice. Yes. Great so band. In term- yeah, in terms of like not really sound like anybody else, but the mini- but just an emotional landscape. There you go. Go check them out immediately, uh, as Jonathan said on uh, the Metal Hammer website right now. Um, how so do you spell it as well? Um, M-A-D-D-E-R-M-O-R-T-E-M and search for the song Vigil. Wicked. It's, um, it's beautiful. There. It doesn't get, you can't get, no, no excuses for not going and checking out that band right now. Uh, loads going on in the world of metal this week, including two surprise new ghost songs, which is quite yeah. nice to, to pop up uh, this week. They are, of course, gearing up for their massive, um, I guess, kind of autumn slash winter tour uh, that will include a stop at Wembley Arena, no less. It's absolutely mad to think that Ghosts are doing Wembley Arena now. Um, what do you think of Kiss the Go Goats, which I think was the main kind of single release, and uh, Mary on a Cross, which was on there as well? Uh, Kiss the Go Goat is funky. It's funky, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> that just, is the word. Yeah. It's just the direction, Goat, the direction Ghosts have been going in the last few years, like basically away from sounding like Merciful Fate to this kind of 
almost like kind of not pure pop, but that kind of area of pop that satanic bands like to go. I, I kind of feel that you know the same thing that Twin Temple have been doing, like you're taking a, like an old form and making it for Lucifer. <laughs> yeah, and, but it's just it's it's just wherever they go, they make it their own, and um, so it's kind of lighter in a way. It's it is, but it's funny because it's got it's got that real kind of like sixties fuzzy swing to it yeah but then they drop in just a couple of moments that suddenly sound like old school ghost as well like it suddenly drops down and goes down 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 mm. down and does that like really kind of low endy stuff they used to do so that's quite cool um, and again it's not really like anything you would hear that's occupying that kind of fuzzier borderline psychedelic kind of realm yeah it's just this kind of like it's like what Twin Temple did as well like taking this kind of slight with doo-wop taking they these, need to tour together yes they do that would be so good yeah but taking these almost like saccharine forms um of, of like sort of retro music and kind of yeah just find this kind of this darkness underneath it yeah. um while still being quite quite saccharine in a kind of in a super catchy way definitely I think it's great it's just again no band doing what they are doing I suppose like you said in the way they are doing it specifically at the moment um, and if you haven't heard those songs yet go over to metalhammer.com to check them out or you probably know you can check them out on streaming channels but you should go check them out via our site anyway because we're the best so they're they're really good and speaking of really good this is a massive tour isn't it? Uh, it yes uh, <laughs> do you want me to say who you'll say it is? Yeah, go for it. So, yeah, Evanescence and Within Temptation uh, announcing a co-headline European tour. Um, yeah. And, they, and they, this is, so, yeah, co-headline tour across all of Europe um, for the first time ever that they've gone on tour together. And the, uh, the London date is the O2 Arena. So this is big, big stuff. Really cool. Do you think Evanescence could have filled Maybe Evanescence could have filled it themselves, or is it the thing? It's the two bands co- combined. I think it's probably the two bands combined. Um, I mean, without I guess getting into specifics of who does what, um, I think this is quite a clever tour. And from what I understand, they might—I don't know this for a fact—but I think it might be a proper co-headliner. So I think it might be they might be swapping that makes uh, slots as the tour rolls on, which would make sense because, um, yeah, I mean Evanescence. Maybe arguably uh, the more kind of um, famous band in England out of the two. Um, but I mean, it's worth remembering that Within Sensation did do Wembley Arena on that's their true. last album yeah, cycle. That's, that's true. So, ne- I mean, neither of them are, uh, are not a really sizable band wherever they go. But I think there's probably some countries where we may have. And Essence are technically a bit bigger and maybe somewhere Within Sensation are technically a bit bigger. Especially probably probably in, like, on the mainland. On the yeah, European mainland. some of the Central European countries um but yeah i mean the two of those bands together i think there is a very significant uh and not specific but very um identifiable portion of the of metal fan base that are absolutely Mm. losing their shit at this bill getting announced because if you're into a kind of well i guess gothic tinged slash symphonic metal not to say they're exactly the same kind of stuff but if you're into that side of the the music scene, you're going to be very excited. Yeah, because the way that within Temptation we're going over the last few years, um, the overlap is shrinking. Like you know, they're, they're going down a slightly more of a rocky route. Well, I think if it, in maybe the first two or three within Temptation albums were much more in the same ballpark as Evanescence. So that's really interesting you say that because I I think it I think almost the other way around. Right. Because I think that within Temptation's music. 
um, was so symphonic and kind of almost operatic and more kind of like epic metal back in the day. Whereas Evanescence have always been more of like a heavier rock band with some kind of slightly gothy undertones. Um, maybe not so much the new with Temptation album, to be fair, because that's got loads of different stuff going on it. But I can kind of see that um, if I was going to pick a Within Temptation song to play an Evanescence fan, I would definitely pick something off the last few albums rather than something like Ice Queen, which is like super like out there and high end kind of opera metal. Yeah, there was that vibe. one period um, when they could, they were basically sounding like they're trying to audition for the do the soundtrack for the Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> yeah, they were, but they did some wicked stuff on those they albums. They did. It's just there's this one song. It's, it's that album, and I can't remember what it's called, but just. A, the bit where she sings I will love you till the end of time is just like yeah. I kind of I'm done with this oh now. man I'm, I'm a massive fan of I, I, uh, I, I With Temptation I, I think they're fucking I great With Temptation just um, that album just got a bit much fair okay fair I, I mean I think they're a great fucking band um, uh, I was actually listening to the Unforgiven Unforgiving today uh, off the back of knowing we were going to be talking about this and I still think that is one of the best kind of proper like arena rocky kind of albums that has come out in the last 10 years. It is so good. And I think Resist, the new album's great as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, glad they went in the direction that they have. Yeah, me too. I mean, again, I, I really like some of the other stuff. I think Ice Queen is a brilliant song and I love Mother Earth and I really like uh, the kind of um, Heart of Everything period as well. I, I guess Mother like the Earth mid-career was period. The one that was, like, was very Lords of the Ringsy. Yeah, that's almost like... <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, bottom line is two massive, uh, very successful modern rock and metal bands and... Um, I was, I'm interested to know where, what this means in terms of where Evanescence are at in terms of new music because I guess this album will have, this tour, sorry, will effectively cap off the Resist cycle for Within Temptation. Mm. But Evanescence are kind of in the in between cycles right now. So I don't know if that means we'll get some new Evanescence music soon or, or how that will work. I'm interested to see what the stage production is going to look like. Yeah, well, the the, the stage production on the, um, the last Within Temptation tour was really good. So um, yeah. I haven't seen Evanescence for a few years now, probably since the last proper album they did actually which is about eight years back unbelievably in fact useless shinfo first art- artist i ever in- um, interviewed for metal hammer was amy lee so oh, wow. that was good she was very nice uh, <laughs> uh and i did with Intentations first cover feature for us so uh, i liked both these bands very much um anyway for the fullest of tour dates as i say the, the london stop is the ot arena that's really big but if you want to hear the fullest of tour dates uh, go over to mutthammer.com now we've got them all there they're tearing right through Europe next April that's going to be um, without a doubt one of the biggest tours of 2020 which is already looking quite big and on that note <laughs> seamless little uh, segue there um, System of a Down are going to be active in Europe as well it looks like uh, they've announced um, one date in I think it's Finland uh, Provinci Festival in, in June next year. So they're, they're basically, they're going to be in Europe in June next year. Um, they've said that the date they've announced is the first of many. Obviously, we're all thinking the same thing. Does this mean they'll be over here roundabout download time or not? We shall see. But that would be nice. Yeah, so, they've, been, they've, they've been kind of fairly cagey about doing anything new for the last few years. I don't and think they want to. We talked about this on the podcast a few months ago. I don't yeah. think they want to do new music, to be honest. Yeah. Or, or just, or just, you know, their the live performances have been very few and far between. A few festival things here and there, like yeah, I think still like quite a while back. I think they're very much on the when they fancy it, they will come round and just do some festivals, and then go away and do their own things, and then come back and do some festivals again. Um, they, I don't know, 
it's System of a Down, so I'll always want to see them, but I, they're very much one of those bands where on their day, they are as good as it gets. Yeah, I remember but seeing, I, remember I would see, start, I would like to see them do new music now, so... Yeah, I remember seeing you at the Astoria back, I guess we were around the time of the second album. Um, maybe. I saw them at Brixton on the second album. Maybe this was the first album then. Uh, didn't they, isn't that when they, they supported Slayer at the Astoria, didn't they? Could well have been. Yeah, God. it's quite an infamous tour because they blew Slayer off stage that tour, apparently. I wasn't there, but maybe they're getting fuzzy. I believe it. What else is going on anyway? Loads yeah. of bands doing loads yeah, of another, stuff. Yeah, another band, uh, Machine Head. Uh, they've announced another massive leg of their Burn My Eyes tour. Um, nice. Playing nice. Birmingham Academy, Alexandra Palace, just up the road from me. That is crazy. And touring with Megadeth later on this year as well. No, that's Fighting Death Punch, mate. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you just skipped ahead of the news bulletin. Uh, no, Machine Head, duh. Um, yeah, I've announced another... They basically just added about another 20 dates onto their Burn My Eyes tour. So the current leg uh, runs near the end of this year, kind of October, November time, I think. And then this next uh, leg runs right from June, uh, sorry, from April all the way into June. Um, and having already sold out Brixton Academy in no time at all, so add Alexander Palace, that's a, like, What's I can't remember the last time I heard of a band doing an academy-sized venue. So for people outside London, that's like 5,000 cap. And then adding a second date onto the second leg of a tour that's twice that. It's is a 10,000 cap is venue. It's 10,000 capacity. Yeah. So that's a big, big um, jump up for them. Or maybe, maybe it's like 8,000, but it's, it's, it's a big I, jump I to just suddenly. Six, but it could be eight. Uh, it, I, well, it's, anyway, it's a lot bigger than Brixton, put it yes. that way. Um, so that's, I mean, that's some crazy uh, love for Machine Head going on. And we know that England loves Machine Head and Europe loves Machine Head, mm. but it's very unusual to see a band do that. Well, I think it's added to that is crazy love for Burn My Eyes. Absolutely. Which is, just goes to show what a seminal album that was. Um, we, of course, did a big feature on it in our special on 1994 earlier this year. I reviewed it when it came out. Oh, really? Yeah. And what did you say? Um, <laughs> it was, I was writing for a magazine, a defunct magazine called Melody Maker, and I did a metal column, and I said that this is what metal should sound like in... Whatever year the year it came out, and I can't remember what year it was now. 1994. 1994, of course it was. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So, I remember, like, you raising that above all the other releases I was reviewing that month. Nice. For the, for the metal column. Well, you were right. Yeah, what an album, and uh, what all that's going to be. Um, I wonder if that means that anything kind of in Machine Head's long-term future is put on hold a bit, or what Rob has planned for that. Um I would be surprised if they uh, assumed that they would just be adding another massive leg onto this tour or not. So I, I don't know if it, the um, response took them by surprise or how it's worked, but very exciting to see that Machine Head, they're uh, you know, not going anywhere and also able to celebrate their legacy in a way that's got a lot of people excited. Yeah, so I think, good I think on you them. Know, this tour, particularly on that album, is a big thing. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Five Finger Death Punch are about to release a new single by the looks of things Inside Out seems to be landing imminently it's been uh, trailered um, on some of the stuff they've been releasing um, and it'll be the first song released from their eighth studio album which will be arriving at some point in I guess between now and early 2020 we don't know yet but we'll soon find out um, they are of course touring with Megadeth that Jonathan suggested earlier just um, a man ahead of my time what can I say of course what do you, what do you think of that because we talked about this on the podcast um, with Ellen Al uh, the other week a few people are, are kind of unimpressed at the idea of Megadeth supporting Five Finger Death Punch it, well um, permission to speak freely <laughs> yeah but, yeah. Be, but I, be reasonable okay reasonably so <laughs> I I don't like Megadeth live 
Okay. Okay. I'm not the world's biggest Megadeth fan for some reason. But besides that, um, let's just face facts. I don't really, don't really like Five Figure Death Punch either. So that's, but that's a but, good thing because that means you're yeah, not too biased yeah, but, in this. But, but yeah, exactly. But, so, but to face facts, Five Finger are a bigger band. It does these days. I mean, you know, Megadeth have got, got the Mega Cruise. Mm. Um, I'm kind of surprised that um, they'd agree to have done a support act. In, in that in that sense, for someone that wasn't like one of the other big four, for instance, yeah, um, and so and yeah, I I kind of always thought that um, I don't know how to put this, but they that I always kind of thought they represented different. Well, I guess uh, at one point, Megadeth. Um, uh, Represented maybe it's kind of a different point on the sort of musical and political spectrum. Okay, um, you know they were very much. I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Um, I'm interested to see what your uh, <laughs> what your what point you're getting to here. Well, you know, I, I always thought like early Megadeth, they were like a kind of resistance band. Sure. Okay. And um, and they're the kind of the voice of the underdog. Yeah. Okay. So I like, see what you're saying. Yeah, and. So for me, I think you feel that almost the ethos of both bands, at least in terms of what Megadeth used to be about, don't really stand on the same platform. Yes, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So I know what you mean. Like what the the spirit that those two bands embody doesn't really feel like it comes from the same place. At least Megadeth's original spirit you know yes, they've kind exactly. of evolved and mustaine as a personality is involved quite a lot yes. but they don't they they do yeah they just don't seem to embody the same feeling of self that no i i always thought that like you know sort of megadeth and thrash was about personal resistance to forces bigger than you um and i i feel that um uh five finger death punch is kind of more of a kind of a mob kind of music in a way yeah Okay, uh, I, I can I can get with that. As someone that like, I I love both bands, by the way. I mean, I, I Megadeth are, you know, probably my second favorite big four band after Metallica, actually. So I really like them, and I like Five Finger yeah, very much just, as well. Me, but I can me, definitely Meg- see what you're for, saying. For me, Megadeth is just this complete anomaly because I love all thrash, and I just never got into Megadeth, and I've, I've really tried. I do so think they're, they're, they're they I mean, Mustaine's vocals alone are very much not in what you would call like traditional thrash vocals. I don't no, think he comes from the same no, school uh, but, as them. And uh, that's, but funny enough, that's what I like about them. I love that kind of snarling, like... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, kind know, of on paper... Delivery. Yeah, on paper, I would, I would like that, you know, it's kind of sneering and cynical. Yeah. And I kind of like that in theory. I just, I don't know, just nothing ever really connected for me. That's fair um, enough. I know but Dom, in terms Dom's of... going to kill me for saying this, but... <laughs> yeah, Dom Lawson, I'm a legend and... Uh, and massive, 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 massive Megadeth fan. Um, I mean, it, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because even if you take away what I think is a very interesting point about where the bands stand, kind of, I guess, almost spiritually, mm. um, uh, musically, they're quite different. But I kind of feel like if you're a band like Megadeth now, you're in 2019, it's going to be very hard to win over or, I guess, reach fans who aren't already kind of 
on that journey to discovering you anyway. You know, if you're getting into metal in the first, say your first metal band you ever hear is, I don't know, Parkway Drive or something. You go to, you listen to Parkway Drive and you hear Winston talking about how great someone like Hate Beat or Kill Switch Engage are. And then you go from those guys and you can find out about the melody scene and then you can go into the extreme metal scene and then you might come across the thrash scene and it becomes quite, you know, there's an obvious route there. Five Finger, uh, sorry, if, you're to, if you want to reach fans outside of that kind of like quite obvious line of engagement, I think it's quite mm. difficult for bands to reach outside that zone now. And so for, I guess what I'm getting at is for Five Finger Death Punch fans to really get into Megadeth without happening to be able to see them support Five Finger Death Punch, mm. I think is quite unlikely. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they occupy the same kind of line of engagement that like... You know, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder how Megadeth would go over to fans who probably don't have the frame of reference you probably need for Megadeth. Yeah, for sure. And even in an era of Spotify where you can just, you know, you get made a daily mix or mm. whatever, and you can you can probably be showing a Megadeth track without even trying to look mm. for it these days, to be honest. But yeah. and it, even, I mean, it's still an odd, it's still, it's still, yeah, still hard to know how it would click but that's why i think it's important for them to do stuff like this because you know they you they could you're right they could just go with a big four band but what new fans is that going to win them over who is that what is that actually going to do for their career beyond that one tour to just go on tour with anthrax and slayer and testament or something do you know what i mean like every single if they did a package like that every single fan in that venue will already have listened to megadeth beyond the shadow of a doubt whereas five finger death punch you know what like again they got very different styles of bands but i find it hard to think someone can listen to like i don't know tornado of souls or something and not just think oh shit do you know what i mean like what is this yeah i mean i i i don't really know the makeup of five finger death punch's audience whether they're kind of immersed in the metal world um you know, whether, whether they're kind of interested in the wider sort of history of metal. I, I, that's an open question. I, I generally don't know because I've never seen Five Finger Death Punch play live. Uh, I have many times. And I think, well, the, firstly, they've got a really big fucking audience. Again, like you don't get to play. This is their second time they've been into, going into arena. Maybe even third time, actually. Um, they are now a regular arena band in the UK. You don't get to that size unless you've got a pretty widespread of yeah, metal yeah. fans, right? But um, I think, uh, I don't know. I always find these those bands hard to measure in England because in America you can just go, oh, they're like a radio metal band. You'll hear them on Sirius X, uh, whatever it's called, the Sirius Metal Radio um, station they've got out there, um, Liquid Metal and all and all those kind of things. Um, you know, you'll be exposed to them. Like I can understand how in America those bands kind of get an audience, but over here it's a bit of a different build up. So I think it's probably just a very organic uh journey that they've had to get into the the size they're at so this is what i think as well i think a lot of people will go to see megadeth and then leave i think i wonder if the kind of people that would do that would pay arena prices yeah to point. just go see one band i think a lot of those kind of people which is totally fair enough if that's what you're gonna do you don't have to watch all the bands but if you if you're if you're that against Five Finger Death Punch, you're really going to pay a ticket to go to one of their gigs in the first place. Then, 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 the, then there's the other upshot of it, which is that maybe you're pricing out Megadeth fans. Yeah, that is true as well. But again, I I don't. Oh, it's hard because Megadeth is such a big band. I didn't really see this as oh, this is like a co-headlining tour that's going to unite loads of 
bands mm. uh, sorry fans do you know what i mean i saw this as oh wow megadeth is 0.5 death points that's going to be a really interesting step in their career um yeah it's a hard one man it's a hard one I don't, I mean, I, what I'd love to happen is like lo- loads of Five Finger Death Punch fans go there mm. and they see Megadeth and they go, fuck, this is awesome. I haven't really given them a proper go before. And then they go check out Rust in Peace. They get their minds blown. And I'd also like to think that uh, a bunch of Megadeth fans are there as well and they stay and watch Five Finger Death Punch and they think, oh, this band's actually great. Like, this is quite cool. I'm going to give them a proper go. And then everyone wins and metal's the best. Yeah, I mean... I'm a little bit optimistic like that, but... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I just think, you know, you look at some... Uh, bills and you think this is uh, this bill is actually more than some of their parts and people are going to go for the whole sense of the event sure this doesn't have that kind of I, I don't smell that off of this bill no not in the same way but um i'm fascinated to see where it goes i'd i, I just i would really like it to be uh I'd like it to be a big moment for everybody involved. You know yeah. what I mean? I think it's really cool when you get mad bills like that. I mean, you look back in the day and you had like Metallica touring with like Faith No More and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like this kind of stuff did used to happen. Mm. But um, maybe the scene's just a bit more split now. I don't really know. But um, the overwhelming reaction that I saw was either people just going, oh, cool, Five Finger Death Punch tour or yeah. why am I getting supporting Five Finger Death Punch? You know, but bands like... Um, uh, but you know, but those bands back then on those tours, none of those bands were kind of regressive, maybe in the same way that Five Finger can be. Sure, sure. Um, they're a basic ass metal band. Yeah. And again, I'm saying that as nothing other than a fan. I think they're great. But yeah, I they mean, are. They are like if I just want to, if I'm at the gym or I just want to feel pumped and like, yeah. let's fucking go. I'll put on some Five Finger Death yeah. Punch. I mean, I, my, my only thing I'll say in their defence is I did speak to uh, Zoltan once, and he's an amazing, interesting, fascinating guy. He's a fascinating with, character. With actually great taste in music. Loves, yeah. He loves Voivod. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, right. God. I had a bit of an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I haven't been here for the last two weeks. Um, as I'm sure everyone noticed. No. Uh, I've been away in San Francisco um, going to uh, to rather intimate little local shows that happened to me on at the time. Uh, no, so uh, yeah, I got to go and see SNM2. I got to go see Metallica do SNM2. Uh, it was something that came together, not last minute, but a little bit off the cuff, kind of um, basically realised, well, was gagging to go to see SNM2 and then basically realised um, that Iron Maiden were also actually playing in the Bay Area. I should have said this is in San Francisco. Um, Iron Maiden were also playing the Bay Area a couple of days later, so I thought, okay, I can make this work. And so I went for a, a hell of a road trip. That sounds amazing. It was, it was, it was crazy. Um, I don't even know where to begin with it, to be honest. I guess, I guess we'll start with, um, no, yeah, let's start with SNM two because I did that one first. Um, so uh, I'm sure most people listening to this know this by now, of course. But the original SNM was when Metallica in 1999 teamed up with the San Francisco Symphony. Um, very uh, highly acclaimed um, local orchestra, um, you know, very big deal in their own right. They're like the London Symphony Orchestra or whatever, that kind of vibe. Um, and it was a big success. It was a big moment in their career. And uh, 20 years later, they decided to do a, um, a kind of rerun of it. Uh, well, not rerun, but they decided to do SNM2, a kind of anniversary celebration, um, two brand new shows in this. Uh, very swish new venue that they've put together called the Chase Arena, which has been put together to, um, I think it's going to be housing the Golden State Warriors, I think it's called, uh, NBA basketball team, basically. Right. Um, so they're going to be in there now. 
but they obviously wanted something special to open it. And Metallica, of course, Thrash was such a massive part of the Bay Area's of identity musically and everything else. Um, so yeah, all in all, it's a very, very big deal. Um, uh, yeah, and I was in San Francisco for the week and the whole week it was just Metallica t-shirts everywhere. It was fucking great. I mean, anyone that's ever been to, I mean, just a gig full stop, but those times where you have a really big event gig and it just totally takes over the city. And I don't know if it's anyone like who made and play. Exactly. Exactly. When made and play, which again happens when um, a few days later with, with made in t-shirts. But, um, I think because it was like, they were doing two nights there. It's like 20,000 capacity. So there could be up to, to potentially 40,000 people walking around that are there to see Metallica that, that weekend. Um, and it was just really cool. It's just, it always feels awesome when you just can, you know, I was wearing my Metallica t-shirt around town a lot as well. And you can just exchange those knowing nods with people and just uh, say, Oh, that t-shirt's from that gig and all that kind of stuff. Um, what was the oldest t-shirts you saw? Oh man, definitely some original eighties ones, just judging by how much they were hanging on by a thread. <laughs> Although these yeah. days it's hard to tell because you can buy those fuckers in like H and M and Top Man, so it was quite hard to tell some of the times. Like, is that new? Or is that is that actually original? Um, but yeah, so the, the, so my point is that the whole vibe felt very special and celebratory before we'd even got to the gig. Um, so in terms of the gig itself, uh, it was all seated, which is really cool, kind of to be expected. Um, the original S&M was in the Berkeley, uh, I think it's the Berkeley Theatre. Is that the old sort of Art Deco? Yeah, it's like a 3,000 cap venue, so it's right. small. It's like it's normally used to, to host like high school events and stuff. Okay. Um, so they did it a lot more intimately and they did it, um, I guess, a more traditional gig setup. The you know, crowd with the crowd, Metallica on the stage at the front with uh, the orchestra behind them. This time, 20,000 people, so very similar setup to, I would say, someone like Madison Square Garden or even the O2, this kind of like big bowl kind of vibe to it. Um, and Metallica played in the round. So they was, Yeah, it was awesome. So they had this big circular stage um, with the symphony kind of scattered all around the rim of it. And then Metallica kind of in the middle slash kind of spread out as well. Um, as the gig that went on, they kind of would all start swapping places and running around and swapping mics and getting more into it. So that was really cool. Um, uh, and it was cool. So people were, start, people were getting so into it. Like before, before it even started, people were cheering and getting excited, chanting stuff. Uh, Mexican waves started going around, all this kind of stuff. The whole vibe was just amazing. Uh, and then the orchestra kind of tried to like almost sneak out because um, they, they didn't really have a big lights down for them. Like a few people not kind of just started cheering and noticing. They just saw these people in like, uh, I guess, evening wear, you'd call it, or just kind of like sneaking onto the stage you're just testing out their instruments and everyone people weren't having it like to let them go suddenly everyone was like yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah you could tell they're a bit like you know kind of some of them were kind of like cautiously raising their hands and some of them were being like yeah let's go um so they were kind of testing out the instruments for about i don't know 10 15 minutes for um metallic common stage finally lights go down um the uh, the ecstasy of gold getting played live is just mind-blowingly cool it just sounds so perfect and so epic um and then metallica walk out kind of through the the bottom uh tiers of the crowd which is cool as well so they kind of they're up on stage kind of salute to the crowd or whatever um launch into call of cthulhu um which is uh what they played first on the last snm so kind of we're in familiar territory to start off um, it's basically like, like a bit of a nod as well to yeah totally to totally um, and it feels like uh, it's all, it always feels like an extended intro, intro track do you know what mm. I mean like it sounds great but it very much feels like a kind of setting of the scene rather than a kind of 
fuck yeah, we're doing this kind yeah. of thing. Um, so it works really well. It's kind of I like think a scene for SNM too, that probably works even better. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like, it's almost, yeah, it's just a little mini tribute to the first one almost. So it just puts you back in familiar territory yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So that, so that works really well. Um, uh, 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 and then they went straight into, sorry, I'm just looking at my set list notes. Um, and then they went into Through Who the Bell Tolls, which is just a badass song to go into. I think on the original S&M, it was one of the um, heavier songs that worked best because it's that bit slower than the others. So mm. you've got more room for the symphony to really kind of swirl in and out of it. Yeah, it's got that swing. Yeah, exactly. So that sounds really cool. Um, I did notice by this point, actually, that um, between this and what came next, there was like Metallica looked very, I don't want to quite say tense, but very focused. Like there was no stage patter from James at all for the first three songs, which no is, you know, no, nothing. Well, no, nothing. No, like yeah. hellos, no kind of like, let's go or anything like none of his little yes, he's thrown into the songs mm. or anything like that. It was all just like heads down, getting on with it. And um, so that was quite interesting. But yeah. Bell's, Maybe it was, was it being recorded? It was being recorded. Yeah. That might be part of it. It could be. But, but also I think judging by what happened later, I think it was almost just kind of like a smash through this first bit so that we know it's working and everything's mm. like coming together and then you can, you know, we can, we can party <laughs> basically. Um, so yeah, bells sounded great. Um, uh, I just got a note here that there was a kid with his dad and the kid dressed in a full little tux and he was like getting held up on his like dad's shoulders and cheering. Oh, wow. It was so cool. The whole thing was amazing. Um, the atmosphere that is. Uh, so Bell sounded really good. I mean, if you've heard the original s and it kind of sounded like that, which is great. Um, and then they did the first uh, kind of new entry into the s and canon, which was The Day That Never Comes. Kind of expected it because they'd been playing it. Um, they dropped it a couple of times at the end of uh, the Hardwired tour recently. Um, and I think a lot of fans kind of thought if they were going to introduce any newer songs, that would be one of them. Because it's like, again, it's a slower number. It sounds like it would lend itself to an orchestra. Um, and it totally did. It sounded absolutely beautiful. Um, they did a kind of really nice little extended intro for it. Um, the strings were just like bursting through again, all those little spaces in between all the riffs and all that kind of stuff. Um, at no point did it feel like the orchestra was like overwhelming the song. It just melded with it really well. Like it sounded like it belonged there. Uh, so it was just gorgeous. Um, and then, so that was three songs in and then you could really feel the kind of the atmosphere just change a bit and it really felt I don't want to I mean you don't know what the band are thinking but it really felt to me almost like there was a big sigh of relief that we were kind of all here and it was going well and then the band seemed to loosen up a bit Metallica suddenly seemed a bit more like that was when they started like swapping mics during songs and like Hetfield's banter level suddenly went right up and it just I really felt like they kind of needed to just get that initial burst of stuff out of the way just to be like and we're here. Yeah, you, know? you wouldn't th think they'd feel those kind of nerves after all this time, really. Well, they might not. I mean, it might not. They might not be. I might just be reading too much into it. But there was definitely a change in kind of. I don't know. There's so much in anticipation around there because no one really knew what to expect. It's like, are they mm. just going to play new songs? Are they just going to repeat the same set list as last time? You know. So I think from the crowd to the band to everybody, there's this real anticipation around it all, mm. um, and it felt to me like that lifted a bit, um, if only in the crowd. Um, once they played um, uh, Day That Never Comes that was really cool uh, so James Hetfield started introducing all the band they introduced the conductor uh, Edwin Outwater um, who I may have interviewed for an upcoming feature as well based on this um, and then they did Memory Remains which again was on the last S&M sounded great again slightly slower track works really well um, the kind of uh, 
uh, Marianne Faithful bits where it's like da 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 just sounded awesome. Uh, that was really cool. Um, the screens they had, uh, you know, especially in like American sports stadiums um, and arenas, they yeah. have the screens dropping down the middle. Uh, like kind of, yeah, kind like, of like, almost like chandeliers or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that, but it's like a spirally one. So it looked really cool. And they had all the visuals from the Hardwire Tour, which if you saw the Hardwire Tour, you know, it looked very, very cool. They had those like projected on it. And they had loads of lasers and stuff going off as well. So the show was just around the, just, a, just the right amount of like, this looks amazing without being too much. Like you're still very invested in what. Yeah, I think on also if you've got an orchestra, you don't want to put the orchestra off too much. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Very good point. And I should say as well, I mean, I, I was lucky. I had a really, really good view where I was. But it, I think wherever you would have been in that stadium, you would have had a great view because it was all circular and they played in the round. So yeah. really good choice of venue to kind of do something like well, this. Well, I think again. if it's a basketball court, you know, you need a lot of people being able to see a very small space. So they've probably got the yeah, yeah. angles of the seats right and everything. Exactly, exactly. And it, yeah, it really worked. Um, so then, then th- so this is the only set list choice which I wasn't keen on, um, which was Confusion off of Hardwired. One of the weaker tracks on Hardwired, in my opinion. The orchestra definitely made it sound better. Um, again, this is going to be a running theme. It's a slightly slower, more methodically paced number, and the orchestra just works better with that, I think, than with the faster yeah, yeah. tracks. Um, so it made it sound better, but it didn't really save it from being a fairly middling song overall. So I wasn't too wasn't too into that it's the only song i probably would have changed up um alternatively also from the last album moth into flame sounded fucking awesome um uh, and they've really become a big metallica song because people really cheered for that when they started playing it you could really tell people were excited to see them give it the snm treatment you know so that really worked um there's the kind of strings doing the like sounded like really like almost psychotic it was just like so turbulent and like ah it sounded crazy Really yeah, cool. see, violins, strings can do that. Some, sometimes I don't always like it when they just make it more epic than it needs to be. Yeah, but this or was one of those... And I think that's one like, of the places where S&M was a bit of a difficult thing to get around mm. last time is that there was so much going on. Yeah, But um, I think Moth really worked. It kind yeah. of made it a more psychotic sounding yeah, song. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like how they use sometimes in film soundtracks. You know, you can get this real kind of like almost like a threnody in strings and um, yeah, yeah, and a real yeah, yeah. tenseness yeah, definitely. Uh, without, without just being like like bolt-on epicness. Or yeah, something. totally, totally. It, it sounded good. I mean, I don't know if they'd done something a bit differently or, um, well, I do know quite a lot of how they did it actually because, again, I did chat to Edwin yeah. and that, that chat will be out in print soon. But uh, um, they really thought about how to make these two potentially disparate elements work together. It really, yeah. really worked, especially for that song. Um, next song was a track off of the original S&M as well, but it was one I was praying they would pr- play, and it was the song of the night. It was one of the best things I've seen all year, which was the Outlaw Torn. It was yeah. absolutely fucking epic. Such a gorgeous song. Um, I can only presume because it's so long, because it's like 10 minutes, is the only reason they don't play it more, because I, I genuinely think that and Bleeding Me are the, off a load of two of the best songs Metallica have ever written in it, and it... I think it's a shame that they don't play them more often and I feel more emboldened in that now having seen it played um, uh, for this. Did I mean, they do one? They did one, yeah. Um, yeah. They did that near the end though. I'll get to that when they get okay. to the home run. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Outlaw, outlaw for me. Wrong sport. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shit, no. <laughs> when they get to the that last crazy minute where the basketball starts flying around everywhere. <laughs> I don't know what you'd call that. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, Outlaw Song of the Night. It just sounds yeah. beautiful. Um, again, the orchestra really lends itself to it because it's just that it's like, it's a slower number. It's more epic. It's more emotional as well. It's a very melodic song. Um, it was just it was. I've never cried that Metallica gig before, and that was as damn close as I've ever got because it was honestly absolutely beautiful. So that really worked. Um, then they played No Leaf Clover, which of course was a song first debuted on S and M. So no surprise that that got brushed off as well. That sounded really good, obviously. Um, and then the final. Um, uh, Hardwired era song of the night was uh, Halo on Fire. Um, that sounded really good, um, and unsurprisingly, it was those last two minutes where Kirk's big emotional leads go absolutely doolally on it that sounded the best. Um, the strings and the crowd both singing along with the da na 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 was just fucking awesome. Um, so that was really really cool as well. Uh, and that was the end of the first half. <laughs> so that was the interval um yeah 15 minute interval after that which i've been exhausted just listening to me. i know i know it was it was honestly it was it took me a few days to get over this whole thing because i could, I I could there was so much going on and the funny thing is this was all the quite straight and narrow stuff the second half is where shit got all weird so a 15 minute break right and then um uh Lars so everyone goes off does their thing then the orchestra come back on stage big cheer then Lars comes back on stage by himself and he gives a speech uh, saying you know there's Metallica fans here from all over the world makes us so proud to be here there's nowhere else we'd rather be all this kind of stuff um then he so so far um Edwin uh Outwater has been the conductor he's the kind of he's a symphony alumnus and he's been um, involved in a load of big orchestras around the world and he, he was chosen to kind of be the main conductor on this. Um, but then Lars introduced Michael Tilson Thomas, who's the actual director of the San Francisco Symphony. Um, and a lot of people obviously knew this because he's got a massive fucking chip. Everyone was like, yeah, and he came out. Um, and then Michael Tilson Thomas starts giving this speech, um, talking about the relationship between heavy metal and uh, classical music and kind of talking about why uh, they have so much shared DNA and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then they proceed, the symphony proceeds to play two classical songs in full. Um, the first of which is, oh no, I haven't got the right. Well, let me switch my notes up here. Do, 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 do. Uh, so the first one, the symphony just played by themselves as conducted by Michael, which was kind of, you know, seen as like a special treat because I don't think he tends to come out and actually do those kind of things live as much, uh, so much anymore. Um, so yeah, the first classical song they did was Scyth- Scythian Suites Op 20 Second Movement. By? By, by uh, oh, <laughs> you don't know. Um, <laughs> by, by, oh God, I'm so sorry if I mispronounce this. Uh, Sergei Sergeyevich Prokofiev. 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 Yeah. Prokofiev. You know who that is, right? Yes. All right, yeah, good. Yeah, I've heard of. Glad you do. So Prokofiev, Prokofiev's Scythian <laughs> uh, Suite. Um, and it was, and it was. I've got to be honest, when I was watching all this, I was a bit like, is this really the right thing to be doing? Because there's a lot of people here that paid for a Metallica ticket and I'm not sure this is what they were expecting. I'm pretty sure if you gave them the option of this or playing Unforgiven 2 or Fade to Black, they would have taken... The other thing, but they're watching Metallica with an orchestra. They've got to true. They're not going to hate it. Are but at they? this point, it's just an orchestra playing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was interesting. Um, uh, and then um, Michael introduces another one. This is uh, so the next one. We really rammed home like this is a real heavy metal classical song. Uh, you can really tell the relationship through the, 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 this kind of track. Um, he called it a, uh, and I quote, 
uh, a dance of extravagant vengeance, wow. <laughs> which is quite cool. Uh, this is called Iron Foundry by Alexander Mozolov. Um, and Metallica actually came out to play this one with them. So wow. you've now gone from a symphony with Metallica covering Metallica songs to Metallica with a symphony <laughs> covering classical songs. Wow. So it was really, again, so at first I was like, this is absolute. So I'd kind of gone from being like, I'm not sure this is a good idea to go, this is fucking mental to this is actually amazing. Like this is unlike anything anyone in this arena will ever see again. Yeah. And the coolest thing about it was people went absolutely nuts for it. Well, at the end of the second song, people were like really, really going crazy. Well, I think, it, I think it's, that's really amazing that they did that because if we're going to go to listen to you know, metal gig with classical accompaniment. It gives it. It'll, it'll give much more context if you know where they're drawing from, rather than just being like, "Oh, it's a classical." Yeah, exactly. It gives you. It gives you more context for the, for what what they're actually doing with the band. And I think it's really cool as well. It's like um, th- something like this could so easily be spun as quite like a kind of self indulgent thing to go. We're going to make you sit and watch this classical thing. But actually, I think it's the opposite of that because what Metallica are basically mm. doing here is going now seriously though this is a big deal, like what these guys do and where those music's come from. And we're going to give you a chance to kind of appreciate that because I've never seen a class, I've never seen an orchestra played live before. Certainly not like that. Um, So it was a real, uh, it was a real event. And it was one of the things where I think it could have, if it had not quite been pulled off right, it could have been a bit of a weird moment. And like I say, you know, hands up at first, I was a bit like, I'm not so sure this is a good idea. Um, But by the end of it, I was just like, this is amazing. Oh my God. Like it it was, one of the most resonant moments of the whole night, I think. And like, like I said, people really went for it as well. There was no bemusement at it. It was properly, people were all in. Cause, yeah, because I mean, the classical music I remember hearing as a kid, I can see why I got into metal. Yeah, it yeah. Was, uh, well, I mean, a lot of people had that. It's in Metallica's DNA. Like Cliff yeah. Burton was a massive classical fan and you can hear that in some of their early stuff, you know. Yeah, we had like, what's it, 1812 Overture we used to play. It's like, by rights, I should be a Sabaton fan. <laughs> um, and a slightly different conversation. Yeah, and Night on Bear Mountain by Masolsky, which is like super epic. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I didn't. classical music has to be quite that epic. Well, I didn't, I didn't know what that is. So that's your homework for everybody listening. Mm. If you, if you, Not on Bear Mountain by Masolsky. It's amazing. There you go. With a mouthful of orange in it. <laughs> You're so cultured. Uh, that's not the sexy thing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ruined it. You were going cultured and you ruined it. Um, but yeah, basically, classical music is metal as fuck, is the moral of the story here. Mm. And then all the crazy stuff just kept coming. So then, um, so th- uh, by this point, um, the, the bands are on stage, but then Lars, Kirk, and Rob go off stage. James is left on stage and the, um, the symphony start kind of warming up this song and I noticed these horns come in and I thought, oh, I know this. Which song is this? I can't work out what it was. Um, and I realised that they were doing Unforgiven 3, which is just one of the last songs I ever thought I'd hear Metallica do live. A lot of people have kind of said fleetingly, like, oh, will they ever do Unforgiven 2? Will they ever do all three of them together? Um, but they decided to do Unforgiven 3 off of Death Magnetic. Um, and so not only was that a real kind of rare treat in itself, but um, the rest of Metallica didn't come back on stage. James Hetfield stood by himself, just accompanied by the orchestra, singing the whole song through. Wow. And it was just really like, it was really raw. And the, the, the strangest thing about it is that you could see James was a little bit uncomfortable with it at first. Like he didn't quite know what to do with his hands. He was putting his hands behind his back and then they're kind of in front of him. Um, and then he'd like put them out by his sides. And, and then as the kind of song reached its climax, he became more like, kind of uh emboldened yeah emboldened exactly became more emboldened um and it it sounded really cool and it just kind of 
Um, it was really fascinating to see James Hetfield in quite a vulnerable moment, I think, in a way. Uh, but it was, it was a really beautiful thing and I really enjoyed it. Um, so fair, again, just fair play for them to push themselves out of their comfort zones. You know what I mean? Like they, he didn't have to do that. Um, but it's clearly something they felt they wanted to do to give a slightly different well, dimension to they're, a they're very really, rare song. They've really sort of, by doing this, they're really making an artistic statement. You might as well like, follow through. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so. I think so. And again, it's really cool to do that. There's no kind of safe, safe kind of rerun of what had come before, um, for the most part here anyway. Um, then <laughs> two more really mad things happened. First of all, they did All Within My Hands of St. Anger, which I was not expecting at all. Nope. They did a kind of um, country-fied acoustic version of it, which I think they did for a live EP that they put out last that year That doesn't well. sound great on paper. It doesn't, but it, I'll tell you what, that song's okay on the album. Live, it was fucking great. It sounded really good. It sounded really menacing and creeping. Okay. Um, and again, the orchestra played a really good part in that. Um, then, again, maybe the most emotional moment of the night came out. They did um, Anesthesia Pulling Teeth off of um, Kill Em All. Um, but they basically had a, a solo musician come up with what I thought was some kind of cello, but it's technically called a stand-up bass. Right. Um, but he, yeah, still, he still uses a bow to play it. So it's kind of like a cello-y type vibe, um, playing the whole thing just like that um, on a cello, uh, sorry, on a stand-up bass. And it sounded absolutely amazing. Um, Lars came in right at the end just to kind of add the little drum bits at the end. And he basically <laughs> do a screw face when I say that. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm sure his his drummer skills were up to the task. Well, it, it, I, I put it this way: that was a that was a real spotlight on him moment when he did come in, <laughs> and, he, and it was fucking great. So there, I stand for Lars. Leave him alone. Um, but yeah, once again, uh, just another moment of them doing something really different. It was so beautiful. It was very uh, relevant to where Metallica have come from. James Hetfield kind of came up afterwards and said, "You know, Cliff would have loved to be here," and I'm sure that's very true. Um, so it's just a really beautiful moment. Um, uh, and then after that it was as I said a bit of a home run so they did stuff that was all on the last S&M very reliable big hitters Wherever I May Roam one Master of Puppets which easily got the biggest reaction of the night no surprise um, Nothing Else Matters and Enter Sandman all really really fucking cool um, uh, you know as you would expect they all sounded really good they sounded emboldened by the orchestra um, one was probably the best out of that little run they had a really awesome extended melodic intro that the orchestra did that was really cool, really affecting. Um, again, loads of lasers used very effectively. Uh, the lighting was used very cleverly. The screens looked really good. Um, so yeah, by that point, it was just like, right, okay, this, that was the mental section out of the way. Now we're just like, slams, like giving you what you probably came for, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, with such a long set, and with... It was a really long set. They, like, pl- they it, played very... They finished very close to midnight. Yeah, in such kind of, you know, relatively uncharted territory. You can see why they were so concentrated at the beginning. Exactly. Just to get their bearings and... Exactly. Um, but yeah, it was so... It was one... Of, it was probably the most unique metal gig I've ever been to. And y- you know what? I never thought I'd say that about a Metallica gig. <laughs> um, so honestly, yeah. fair play to them because there were... Um, those particular moments like Anesthesia... Um, all Within My Hands, Unforgiven 3, and those two classical numbers. That was just a run of, like, it was song after song after song just done in a way I'd never seen before. And for a band like Metallica to be doing that at this stage in their career, um, I'm not saying everything on the night was perfect. Like I said, I wasn't too keen on Confusion being in there and whatever else, but uh, I, I was actually blown away to be coming away from a Metallica gig and thinking I'm going to need a couple of days to really decompress and really think about what I've just seen 
Um, and I've left just being in total awe of them, to be honest. I thought it was absolutely amazing. So, wow. fair play. Iron Maiden were good as well. Let's go <laughs> on to the <laughs> questions. No, I'll do quick, mainly quickly as well. So, two, two, two days yeah. later, at the, the biggest of bonus rounds, um, I went to see Iron Maiden in Oakland. Uh, the Oracle Arena, which funnily enough was actually the old home of the uh, Golden State Warriors. Um, and uh, so this was for the Legacy of the Beast tour, same tour that came over last year. And um, it was, yeah, it was still just absolutely epic. Easily the best kind of maiden show they've ever put together. Um, I, 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 even though I already knew the set list, it was still crazy just going, oh, and here's where Eagles Dead. Oh, and here's Revelations. Oh, and here's... Uh, Wicker Man. Oh, and here's for the Great Good of God. Oh, and here's Clans Man. It was just, just well, knock out after knock out after knock out. It's in three stages, right. no pun intended. So the first bit is uh, war, kind of barbed wire sandbags. Obviously, the the um, Spitfire comes out for Aces High. Yeah. And then it merges into this kind of. Um, I mean, obviously, Maiden have been doing this kind of stuff for longer, but quite ghost-esque chapel kind of background, um, you know, more ornate looking. And then it shifted again into a kind of hellish fire and brimstone imagery. It was really cool. Um, and yeah, it was great. Does he bring the Union Jack out for the trooper? Uh, yeah, except it fires now. <laughs> so it's got a Union Jack and he points it and it fires fireworks out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I guess especially on the West Coast... Where they had the original, the actual tea party. Yeah. I think it was the West Coast. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the the English flag has probably a different connotation than it has in England. It has. I've got a feeling well, that British, he might have, It's not the English flag, the British flag. I I've got say. a feeling, I can't remember now, but oh, I've got a feeling he might, have, uh, he might have grabbed a um, USA flag at one point as well. Okay. I think he might have done both. I can't remember. He does tend to do that. He'll like grab another flag of whatever country he's in as a little nod. Um, but yeah, it was just so good. It um, The band were on great form. Bruce was on rare form either by his, even by his standards in terms of like just the kind of patter he was given. Like he would, um, I think the crowds, I don't know if it's like a, like a West Coast thing or um, it's just that particular area. The crowd was like not the most crazy maiden crowd I've ever seen. And Bruce just wasn't letting them have it. Like I've never heard so many scream for me's. He would be like, no, no, guys, seriously, scream for me. You've got, like, fucking scream for me now. I'm not, I'm not pissing around here. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's really good fun. Um, and he was, like, kind of, he'd drop in these fun little asides into songs and stuff like that. It just felt, it felt like that kind of point where they're kind of coming to the end of this two-year period of this tour they've been doing, and they're really just having an absolute blast doing it now. Um, yeah, super celebratory and just really good fun. Amazing. I just realized I could commit a complete history faux pas. Of course, it was a Boston Tea Party, so it was on the other coast. Yeah, I was trying to think that as you said it, but I, I, yeah, I trust your yeah. geography more than mine, so. Yeah, don't. We both fucked it. Sorry, US listeners. Yeah, I do, I do know the difference. Um, so, yeah, Maiden was really great as well, and just, uh, yeah, what a week. What a what week. What a week. And I'm writing. In a bit more depth than that, if you can believe it, <laughs> in an upcoming issue of Metal Hammer that will be out in early October. Um, I did a few interviews and various other bits and bobs about both those gigs and experiences. So make sure you pick those up. Oh, right, before right. my voice gives up on me, do you want to read some reader questions? Yeah, so let's let's pick the one that is not going to have a long answer. Shall we? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, actually, no, let's, let, let's do pick the one. We got time, we got time. Okay, so... Uh, Ruben Borger asks, we all know some bizarre stuff the vocalist of Azalei Dying did and the sentence he served. Now they're getting a new album out and touring, they were boycotted at a, or by a Spanish festival after outrage from the fans. 
The festival did, however, host mayhem, which isn't all that swell on the murder scale either. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Forgive and forget or not? Well, excuse me, just pour myself a big old glass of water. Um, no one who actually committed murder in mayhem is in mayhem. This so. is true. So, yeah, I think there might, might be a few false... Uh, comparisons going on here let's just stick to Azalea dying because this is an interesting one for well, us because we've talked about this in the yeah we've we'll talked about it, but I think you can't really talk about it without um, without some comparisons to see like but anyway yeah yeah, because there's obviously in, in the black metal world there are some genuine yes moral quandaries I think just in the metal world at large as well I know you know extreme metal and black metal definitely has a few uh, rampant examples but I think the Azalea dying thing I think you've put it best, actually, Jonathan, because we were talking about this in the office. And um, so what's happened here is someone's done something heinous or certainly tried to do something heinous. Mm. And that person has now since gone to prison and they have served time and they have, by the definition of the system, been rehabilitated and come back out the other side. So on one side of this, you've kind of got the argument of that person should have the right to now go on as they see fit. They've served their time. They've done what prison is there to do. And in theory, they should now be able to go on and, and carry on. Um, the other side of that, of course, is that if, you, if what you're doing is being in a very successful metal band, you are still on a platform and there's a certain message being potentially sent out there of you can do, you can do this, especially when it, think, it comes to like crimes against women and stuff like that. It's kind of potentially sending out a message that you can do this and still come through and still be celebrated and put on magazine covers, not ours, but put on magazine covers and and, and get all the coverage you used to and all the rest of it. And probably magazine covers that they wouldn't have got yes. under normal circumstances. Yes, which from a journalistic viewpoint, you have to say, well, there is a massive story here and it's something people want to read about and there's a certain duty to go into, you know, how stuff like this can happen and... The you know the ins and outs of why something like this can happen rather than the you know the end result of just going as low dying go back. Mm. Um, but Jonathan made a really good point in that I think a big problem here is that all the kind of rehabilitation and rebirth and it's all okay now and he's he's better and all that kind of stuff is all coming from his perspective. We're not hearing any perspective or input from the person who was the victim of this crime yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Which she might not want to have. We don't know. Mm. She might, she might not want to be involved. She might just want to wash her hands of it and all the rest of it, but we don't know what that situation yeah, there was, is. So. Yeah. There wasn't, that, that, that was kind of the fundamental point, but like, you know, they, they put out a video of them talking amongst themselves and being very, um, you know, regretful and everything. But I still think this is all a very male dialogue and, yeah. and whether it's not, you know, you know, um, what I didn't see was him, talking to kind of women's groups in their, seeing it from their perspective because this is kind of a slightly philosophical point. Okay. But um, I think an apology is only worth how much you know, you're aware of what you're apologizing yes, for. Yes, of course, of course. And, um, Absolutely. And you can't just say, oh, I'm sorry about that and, and expect to be forgiven. You have, you have to know the full extent of, and, you know, and that means, you know, confronting you know, confronting parts of yourself, you'd, 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 you'd probably rather not make you feel uncomfortable. And um, 
So, and I think you should have talked to maybe some women's groups, or we should have heard from some women's groups, or let them be part of the conversation, mm. not just the f the five guys in the band. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that the whole thing's been framed about you really fucked the band up, and it's like, well, there's a lot of other implications of this situation <laughs> yeah. beyond that. Um, so, in terms of forgive and forget, it's I guess it's it just depends on. Well, I th actually, to be fair, I do. I'm pretty sure they are doing something where they're giving a lot of money to charity, to women's charities and stuff like that. I'm pretty mm. sure that's something they do. Uh, now that I think about it, I, I won't be quoted on that, but I'm pretty sure that um, they are giving proceeds of certain gigs away and stuff like that. So they are doing something in that realm, okay. um, which is a good step and that's important. Um, but I do think that, uh, yeah, Jonathan said it's unless you're absolutely certain that the person uh you're talking about is aware of why they're apologizing and aware of the full ramifications of what they've done it's quite hard to decide if you can forgive them or not the other side of this is whether uh, you know i'm not a massive as they don't fan anyway so this isn't much of a moral um issue for me as it might be if it was one of my favorite bands well yeah but if he was one of if they were one of my favorite bands does he owe me an apology do you know what i mean so yeah, i'm kind of sitting no, and going yeah, well you need to apologize I, but I just, uh, does he i mean yeah i think everyone has to you know, you can you can give certain what I think may be moral guidelines, but it's it's everyone's choice. It's everyone's kind of you know dialogue they have to have with with the band. But um, the the thing is is just like will what they whatever they're saying in the music will it ring true under these circumstances? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's hard because we get these questions a lot, and they're really good questions. So thanks, Ruben. But um, you could, there's so much so much of this comes from your own ability to square with something if i know people who are just really excited to have azalea dying back and they're listening to them and they don't see a problem with it and i don't feel compelled to tell them that they can't listen to that i, I i'm, I'm in, not gonna listen to it i'm listening to it anyway i'm so. in a glass house i listen to emperor well yeah exactly so i think you know and i, and I watch them with um bard faust Ithan playing yeah so i mean i mean you know i'm completely aware that i'm in a glass house you know and I, that that's a kind of a more thing that I have to deal with. I think so. I think so. But I think, you know, if, uh, I mean, Metal Hammer's official stance is that we're not really doing a whole lot with Azale dying at the moment because I do think it's still a bit raw and it's a bit, Yeah. We, we, we do feel a bit uncertain about it. That's not to say we're laying some definitive judgment on it. We're just kind of, it's one of those things where it's quite hard to come to an easily definable opinion on. I yeah, think. And I, you just I, have to do what you feel is right for you, and if you can square that with yourself, then that's your business, really, isn't it? Yeah, I just, I just right now, I, I, I don't feel particularly comfortable with kind of giving him the oxygen to possibly justify himself. Or right now, mm. that's my, that's my, that's my own personal take on it. Yeah. So we'll we'll see where it goes. Um, otherwise, if you are listening to Azalea dying, then that's your choice, and there's nothing we can say on here that will probably stop you doing that. So yeah. there we go. Um, Ross McLeod says. Being professional music journalists, uh, you obviously don't let personal feelings rule your reviews. <laughs> what did we just say? No. <laughs> um, when you've had to write a review while thinking he, she, they are an utter but uh, oh he, she, or they are an utter bunch of cunts. But wow, that is an absolute rager of an album. So basically, well, loads. <laughs> yeah, you can't really. Uh, if you're reviewing an album, you have to review the album. I think basically this does link to what we were saying because basically, if you if you think someone is such a cunt that it doesn't, they don't, uh, you know, they've done something so heinous that it 
they just should never grace the pages of your magazine again then you wouldn't be reviewing the album in the first place mm. you know yeah if someone's a dick i don't really care if someone's a bit of a dickhead well you know? yeah i mean i mean music there's different there's different shades of cunt yeah yeah well i mean let's just let's say in the case of uh, something like um i'm not saying you know in the case of however you feel about as dying you know like i say i like some Burzum albums yeah and i like you know the last i, I liked i liked his first comeback album bellas and so whatever you think about you know it's positive and of course you're totally justified in saying you should never listen to them ever um but sometimes music is a dialogue mm -hmm. between um between the person and some kind of and art for instance yeah and sometimes music is it will tell you something about tell you something that the person can't like sometimes music is more intelligent than the artist and and you know so for 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 a guy who I think, say Vark Vickenes, who I think is um, very self-serving and just everything he says is just trying to rationalise the last stupid thing he says. Mm. Weirdly, Bellas, for instance, had a real emotional honesty to it. Where does that come from? I have no idea, but it's there. Mm. Um, so bad people can find weird realms of um, expression that have a resonance. Um, also, I listen to a lot of black metal, so there's probably a lot of lot of cunts in black metal um, <laughs> and also the, but the only band that i've ever i've ever met were um at the time i really did not like that person and with their they're being really obnoxious i still love that album and it'll never change who's that it was uh life of agony around the time of river runs red oh uh, okay and keith caputo as he was back then uh he was an obnoxious little shit <laughs> okay and um i see like i I never have. I, I I seem to have good luck with interviewees. Like never, don't very very rarely get them on the bad side. Hardly ever. I've got to say as well. Um, I've not had it. I've not really had it. I got, like people have said to me before. What's the worst interview you've ever had? And I can't really remember times where I've had someone that was a real prick to me. I've had people be a little bit standoffish or difficult. But yeah, the all the all the kind of people that are you know. Um, infamously difficult characters like Dave Mustaine's always been great when I've interviewed him um Manson was great when I interviewed yeah, him I didn't you know I've never had any I can't really think you know I argued, argued with Pete Steele for an hour yeah 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 you said that before but that sounded like a good kind of healthy debate yeah know? yeah it was great that's my favorite one of my favorite interviews um so uh, yeah but uh if you're reviewing the art you have to review the art but that doesn't mean you should just ignore stuff that's happened or anything like no, that. no I mean you know? if you feel that there's a discrepancy and if you feel that um that an album's dishonest in some way yes definitely it definitely. will come it will come you know they, these things will come across in the music and that's the um that's the beauty of music and let's say art it's like a it's like a it's like a pool and it will whatever you touch on it will reflect you know those ripples will create absolutely very something. well put as how well, this is less. We got a lot of heavy stuff. This is a less yeah. heavy question now. Let's get to the easy bit. <laughs> so, if they made a movie about Mount Hammer, who would play you or us? Bear in mind, there's that's only a two good of question. Us here, so Thank you, to... Scott Situmpel, for that. Yeah, question. so we're going to have to talk about absent people. Yes, we will. Well, let's stick to the podcast crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, go on, you do yours first. I haven't cast myself because I wasn't so arrogant. <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't know what that meant. We had and to I cast think ourselves. Of, I couldn't think of any actors that people have said look like me. Right. Well, I, I'm going to start with you. Okay. And it doesn't it, um, it doesn't look like you, but there's there's a similarity. I think. You ready for this? I'm much more nervous than I thought I'd be. You know. <laughs> Go on. Will Smith. 
What? <laughs> okay. I can take that. Yeah. Similar, similar, similar body shape. Okay. Yeah. I, I wish. Fucking hell. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is going to sound like I'm blowing smoke up people's asses, but like, it always comes across as good natured and gets things done. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Will Smith. I'll take that, man. Cool. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, you. Fresh Prince of Potton End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, there's, a, there's a certain similar uh, air. Yeah, I, I would, I, I, mate. I would, I would, that's much better than what you were going to say. I thought you were going to say like Stephen Merchant or something. <laughs> Not that I don't think Stephen Merchant is a genius and a very, very funny and nice man, but I'm sure even he would admit he's not as cool as Will Smith. No. <laughs> uh, what else have you got? Uh, okay, well, um, I'm going to leave you till last because I've got three. Yeah, for you. yeah. I mean, I've uh, Alice has. Uh, I didn't really kind of. Get much time to think. She, she she can't be with us today, so let's just say um, Emma Stone. Emma Stone, okay, we'll cool. Quite well. I got Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah, I can that 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 too. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think she could do a good Alice kind of dry sense of humour. Kind of looks like she could convincingly be into like witchy doom metal bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and wouldn't want and wouldn't want to get on their their bad side. Yeah, definitely. Um, for Eleanor, mm-hmm. um, so I was thinking someone who's like kind of fun, super PMA, can, like can get really hyperactive, like wants to get things done, but could also play a convincing like kind of gothy version of that. Mm-hmm. So I got Alison Brie, <laughs> okay, who I think Elle would appreciate because she plays Diane in by Jack Horseman, and I heard Elle say that that was her spirit animal one. So I think she'd I think she'd uh, approve of of Alison Brie playing her. I feel really nervous at the idea they're going to listen to these back. Yeah. Well, that's why, that's why I've chosen the most, uh, you know, uh, positive ones I could think of. Uh, for Elle, I don't know. I, I was thinking, strangely, this is probably like a very lateral step. Catherine Hepburn. Okay, cool. Old school. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, because she's funny, tough, but also has this kind of quirkiness about her too. That um, Catherine Hepburn is one of my favourite all-time actresses. Wow. And just yeah, uh, bringing up babies one of my favourite like old comedies. Awesome, and, um, yeah. So th- that's her. Nice, nice. Uh, you do you, and then I want to okay. do you because <laughs> I've got. I was three. trying to think of like short bald men. I was trying to think of uh, interesting layered bald men. Yeah, well, I had. A, <laughs> I mean, maybe just on the pure. Just look. I don't know. This is probably going too much, but um, ideally. And this is this is this is way too vain. But Yul Brynner, who Yul Brynner? Who's that? I can't find the original Westworld. Oh, I haven't seen it. Sorry. What? Also, <laughs> just one of the most famous 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 actors in the world. But never mind. I'm gonna look him up. Hold um, on. Yul Brynner. Yul Brynner. Yeah, come on. He's he's like he's one of the biggest old school actors ever. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yes, I recognise him. Where do I recognise him from? Oh man. Is he in The King and I? Yes. Yeah, I recognise yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, he's a, he's a legend. Yeah. Very cool. I can imagine Jackie Earl Haley being into, uh, okay. into yeah. black metal or... Yeah, I can know. see that. Um, and he was in Watchmen. So. Yeah, yeah. He's the, he's the only, to me, he's the only good thing in the Watchmen movie. Although, <laughs> although um, I am ca- I'm cautiously optimistic about the TV series that starts next month. Interesting. Um, but the book's the greatest book ever, comic book. Well, one of the greatest books ever written full stop. Um... Uh, yeah, and just maybe someone who likes to tune into other frequencies and 
The only one I could think of really was John Malkovich. I've got John Malkovich. Yes. <laughs> he was my ace. Yeah. <laughs> totally John Malkovich. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I'm, 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 down, I'm down with John Malkovich. John Malkovich. Um, I also had <laughs> Patrick Stewart, which is a bit of a lazy one. But yeah, he's a bit too noble for me. I can't, it's I, quite noble, but your voice is not a million, a million yeah. miles off it. And I'm saying that because I've got it in my headphones right now. So I'm very tuned in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I yeah, I just, everyone on Star Trek's too noble. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, Malkovich definitely. And um, also... A controversial one because he's he's cancelled but purely on acting merit kevin mm. spacey <laughs> well yeah i can see that cool and I'll, 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 when i say it, i'll take that <laughs> yeah steady um yeah yeah i uh i think that uh i think we've done well there so will smith john malkovich i'm gonna take alison brie over Catherine hepburn but i'll give you who did you say for alice uh, Emma Stone Emma Stone so Emma Stone Alison Brie John Malkovich and Will Smith yeah. <laughs> could someone make that film poster <laughs> oh my word um, now we just need a plot yeah exactly uh, well, no, mate I lost it long ago um, Jeremy asks uh, very fitting with today's show what other bands should team up with an orchestra or opera good grief uh, he reckons Blackwater Park performed by Opeth with a full symphony or choir would be good. Yeah, I just think I'm getting a bit sick of orchestras. And, I mean, Metallica um, accepted. Like, the last one I saw was Accept. And it's like, why on earth would you want balls to the wall with an orchestra? <laughs> Did they? Yeah, That's yeah. so weird. Yeah, they are. Um, well, you know, they... Um, last time I went to Wacken was about two years ago. It was the first thing I, I, I saw. And they've been touring apparently with the orchestra, and um, I really do not I do not need to see see accept. Uh, no, not at all. No, just um, even I mean, if it was something like Judas Priest, you can imagine some of those songs lending themselves, like the more kind of epic ballady stuff and the the slightly synthy tinge stuff they did in the eighties, maybe. But even that would be a step too far. But fucking accept. Yeah, just I mean, even some rock bands that kind of have strings. Like there's there's two beautiful songs that Royal Thunder do, uh, um, and it's got str- and it's got strings, but I wouldn't want to say it with a full orchestra, just too much pump. Fair, fair. Um, can imagine, like can imagine Sabaton, although have they done that already? I could I don't know that they have at all, but I could imagine Sabaton have done that. They've done some quite ambitious stuff already, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, you know, Satirican did it, Dimu did it on the black metal front. Well, kind of related to that, I would love to hear the new Rotten Christ album done with the orchestra. I, I, I think should. it would sound absolutely yeah, amazing. Maybe some emperor. Because it's just uh the kind of more metal side of it is just withdrawn enough for I think where it's not gonna chip over each other. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's not like big heavy metal riffs with orchestra at the top. Yeah, actually, the, the kind of vibe of that album are like big rolling epic uh, swaths of noise. And I think that lends itself to an orchestra really well. I take the Heretics, back, isn't it? It's called. Yeah. It's a great album. Yeah. yeah. I take that back to, I take it back just to um, see maybe Emperor play with an orchestra, especially like stuff from in the Night Side Eclipse. That'd be pretty epic. Epic indeed. And what an epic podcast it was this week. Uh, <laughs> we will see you soon. <laughs> Uh, don't forget to pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer uh, Baby Metal Spectacular it is really fucking good all the festivals all the fe- yeah all the festivals in there as well like everything from Bloodstock to uh, Midgarge Blitz yes uh, and uh, what else did we do 
Do we get Wacken in there? Yes, and Wacken too, yeah. Wacken in there as well. So yeah, yeah, loads of festival action. It was the most festivaliest summer ever and we've got all the action from it. Only in the new issue of Metal Hammer. Don't forget to pick it up. Um, don't forget, I think I might forget to say, it's facebook.com forward slash Metal Hammer Readers. If you want to come hang out, give us some feedback, give us questions for the podcast, that's where you do it. Um, we will be back next week anyway. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.